0: Hello, it's Nick Brown. Welcome to the July Archives of Disease in Childhood Atoms. Let's start with some global health. Tuberculosis. The WHO-endorsed gold standard for diagnosing tuberculosis in all age groups is positive microbiology. This is notoriously difficult to achieve in children. If all else fails and the infrastructure allows, bronchoscopy is an option. But this is rarely available in low- and middle-income countries. Which of course shoulder the vast majority of the global burden of TB disease. In non-expectorating children, which is the majority, the alternatives include induced sputum, nasopharyngeal aspiration, and gastric aspirate, which though performs best. Bonnet and colleagues, my editor's choice, undertook a systematic review of detection yields of mycobacterial culture and expert MTB RIF from these methods, and included thirty studies involving eleven and a half thousand children. Detection yields for culture range between one and thirty percent for induced sputum, one and forty-five percent for gastric aspirates, and four to twenty-four percent for nasopharyngeal aspiration. And for expert MTB RAF, between 2 and 17% for induced sputum, 5 and 51% for gastric aspirate, between 3 and 8% for nasopharyngeal aspiration. There was a trend towards better yields with induced sputum when the pre test probability of ITB was low and gastric aspirates when it was high, in other words, in most low and middle income country settings. But the wide range in reality means that detection is difficult and there are imperfections inherent to every technique. We'll carry on with TB and look at household contacts. The surveillance and management of child contacts of adult multi-drug resistant TB is controversial. Sanchez Padilla longitudinally evaluated the evolution of tuberculin reactivity in household contacts of multi-drug resistant TB in Armenia. Children were screened using tuberculin skin tests interferon gamma release assay and chest X-ray at the initial consultation and were then reassessed every three to six months for a period of two years. They received no preventative treatment. At the start, three of the 150 children included were diagnosed with TB disease. In other words, two percent, with a prevalence of latent TB of close to 60 percent. This increased most rapidly during the first six months of follow up. But there were no additional cases with incident disease after adjustment. LTBI was significantly associated with a child's age, sleeping in the same house, household density, the index case's age, positive smear result, and presence of lung cavities. These data add backing to regular surveillance rather than active treatment to this high-risk, very hard-to-treat group. Pneumococcal vaccination. As part of primary vaccination against invasive pneumococcal disease, or IPD, the WHO recommends either a 3 plus noughts Schedule, which includes six weeks, three to four months, and four to six months vaccinations, or a two plus one dose, two doses before six months, and a third at nine to fifteen months. However, IPD remains prevalent, and little is known about persistence of effect of the early three plus naught schedule. In addition, antibody teachers required for protection against nasopharyngeal carriage, disease type, and cross protection between serotypes are different. Zimmerman assessed the pneumococcal antibody concentrations to all 13 antigens included in the current 13 valent conjugate vaccine after 3 plus 0 and the 2 plus 1. They estimated pneumococcal antibody concentrations using geometric mean concentrations and the proportion of infants with antibody concentration above the standard protection threshold. At seven months of age, seroprotection rates vary between 69 and 100%, but by 13 months, we're below 90% for most serotypes, with lowest rates for serotypes 4, 19A, 23F, and 6B. The clear inference of the findings, albeit from a small group, is that for long-term seroprotection, a booster dose in infancy might be required. Kawasaki's. A group of papers revisit Kawasaki's disease from several different angles, Treatment resistant remains enigmatic, and Shimuzu's study from a metropolitan area in Japan, Kitakyushu City, followed the course of 715 patients who were initially treated with intravenous immunoglobulin with respect to response by season. Though incidence was higher in the cold months, the proportion of patients with resistance to the initial IDIG therapy was significantly higher, with an odds ratio of 1.49 and confidence intervals of 1.02 to 2.17, during the warm period. There was however no difference in coronary artery aneurysm rates. They hypothesized that infection burden and immune triggers might vary by season. Tallow and colleagues report the latest British Paediatric Surveillance Unit, K.D. Surveillance, and show a winter peak with higher rates in children in rural areas, later treatment predicting poorer outcome in terms of aneurysms. Editorials by Burns and Cornish respectively comment on these findings and implications for practice. We'll finish with a look at gut microbiota an area which it is hard to imagine can be more seen a faster rise in research than any other which is why Ryan's review of the gut microbiome is so welcome in terms of a direct relevance to child health the following are identified the infant microbiome is vulnerable programs the immune system and might contribute to atopic and immune disease though through monozygotic twin studies, it appears that the initial microbiome is largely genetically based. Divergence is rapid. A diverse microbiome predicts metabolic well-being and that certain probiotics protect against necrotizing enterocolitis. So how do we best nurture young children's microbiome? Simply advocate for full-term normal deliveries, for breastfeeding and the judicious use of antibiotics. Thanks for listening. Be sure to check out the website on adc.bmj.com.